0: Okay, hello everybody, and welcome back. Now, I said that Ray Grant had made some recent comments about both Michael Butterfield and Mark Hewitt, and I would like to get to some of the comments he said about Mark, because I used Mark's material as the source for the first part of the show. Mark Hewitt wrote into Black Box Online Radio about two or three weeks ago saying, Great job, Ned. Thanks for another excellent podcast. Yes, the evidence suggests a lone individual... I was talking about how in the past that I thought there had to have been a group murder theory, what should be called a thrill-kill club. When you look at all of the differences in the Zodiac crimes among the Lake Herman Road murders, the Blue Rock Springs shooting, the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and the murder of Paul Stein, most of these crimes all have something about them that is extremely different. And for a long time, I began to think that it was something that was like a thrill-kill club, where He would have had one person who was the central planning mind, and maybe that person committed a crime, maybe he did not, and then a a different person committed each of the crimes. And I slowly and, and surely walk away from that particular theory, because all of the evidence could be explained by one single person. But I think that there are also other theories that people entertain involving multiple participants, that the shootings were committed by one person and the Lake Berriessa stabbing was a different person, or how about the letter writer, and the person who wrote and designed the ciphers is one person, and the person who commit them committed the murders was a different person. There are lots of theories involving multiple participants, and you can hear all about them here on Black Box Online Radio's Zodiac Mondays and some of the older episodes, and there is now a playlist for the Zodiac Killer news reports. So, Mark Hewitt also asked me if I had read his book Profiled, and the answer to that is no, not yet, but I will definitely be reading that very soon and discussing that on some of the future Zodiac news reports, and you'll see very clearly that Mark Hewitt's biggest critic is, of course, Ray Grant, who says, Hey, Mark, why not send Ned a complimentary copy of the book where you steal Doug Oswell's suspect without mentioning your source? I think it's called plagiarism. Mark Hewitt used to show up on Michael Butterfield's forum in 2009 every three months like clockwork, announced the latest journal entry in his quarterly journal Radians and Inches. Hewitt never posted about the case, just about how his journal was available, Hewitt's Hunted is a copy and paste job from other sources from other sources, such as the reports that are free and available on Tom's board. Mark Hewitt has never spoken with an original investigator or journalist assigned to the case. Mark Hewitt has sent only to Gary Stewart as the purest mercenary writing about the Zodiac case. Wow, that is a big one. I mean Gary Stewart, whom I talk about very frequently on the channel, is the author of The Most Dangerous Animal of All, and he was partnered with Susan Mustafa and Michael Wachschel. Michael Wachschel went on to release a companion book to that called The End of the Zodiac Mystery, and that is one of the most blatant grifts out there. And, um, I mean, it was purely done-for-profit, material that wasn't even Zodiac-related, and just paraphrasing the police reports by their own admissions into the, just a little section that is included at the end of The Most Dangerous Animal of All. And you can hear all about that in my eight-part book discussion here on Black Box Online Radio, and someone recently informed me that the audio version of the book was online for free. Sure, access a free copy of it, but I beg you, do not pay money for Gary Stewart's book, um, The Most Dangerous Animal of All. Now, I'm still reading the book, Hunted, and I'm definitely going to read Profiled and Exposed, and, as I said, I'm looking forward to discussing the psychological aspects in Profiled, and the... Zodiac Unabomber connection inexposed, and that will allow me to make a verdict on the subject. Who is telling the truth? Is Mark Hewitt right, or is Ray Grant right? Who is on the side of um the truth, and who is on the side of something a little bit more sinister? So please stay tuned to Black Box Online Radio, and um, again, if you would like to subscribe to this channel, you can follow along with all of these true crime discussions. Every Monday is Zodiac Monday, and on Wednesday this year, I'm going to be starting a new segment about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders from 1946. The first episode is scheduled to come out next Wednesday, that's this coming Wednesday, and it will turn into a regular series because the Moonlight Murders is a very similar story to the Zodiac Killer. You had a hooded serial killer targeting couples in lovers' lanes and parked cars, and absolutely shocking, and um, just about how similar these two cases are. The phantom killer, who is the perpetrator in the Moonlight Murders saga, was never identified nor apprehended. And I have talked a lot about the phantom killer in the past. I have numerous episodes, even those old-fashioned black box recordings. But I will be approaching the case in somewhat of a more detailed attempt. And there are a new series of episodes out for the Anything Goes Friday segment, where any subject is fair game this one has um, these past few weeks have mostly been devoted to the case of stephen avery and making a murderer where stephen avery and his nephew brendan dassey have been convicted for the 2005 murder of teresa holbach did they actually do it did they actually have any involvement at all with her death well, I invite you to have a listen to the episodes that I've done recently, and I'm doing a book discussion on Wrecking Crew by John Farrock, talking all about his observations on the case of Stephen Avery and the murder of Teresa Holbach. Now, let's give some credit to Douglas Oswell. He's having a rough day here on Black Box Online Radio. Firstly, someone threatened to punch him in the face, and now someone is saying that someone stole Douglas Oswell's suspect. Who is this guy? He uses the pen name Douglas Evander Oswell, which I suspect is not only his pen name, but also his legal name, and he wrote a book called The Unabomber and the Zodiac. And I would like to go over to Amazon.com and just read to you the description of this book that has been pulled into question. The Zodiac Killer murdered five people between December of 1968 and October of 1969. The murders were followed by letters to the news media demanding publication of his threats and other written material on on pain of further killings. As the Unabomber, Theodore Kaczynski murdered three people and injured many more over a period beginning in May of 1978 and continuing through April of 1995. His murders were followed by letters to the news media demanding the publication of the letters themselves and the so-called Manifesto on Pain of Further Killings. These were not serial killers, as the term is commonly understood, but deeply disaffected individuals, each with an axe to grind against the world. They moved to the same locations at the same time. They teased the authorities with cryptic clues as to their whereabouts and motives. Each killer identified himself with a graffiti consisting of lines within a circle. Both made references to opera. Their methods were different, but their madness was the same. This book highlights the amazing similarities between Kaczynski and the Zodiac, the two most enigmatic and cerebral killers in U.S. history. Now, I've corresponded with Mark Hewitt a fair bit over the last two years, and I openly asked him once, all right, there's this book out by Douglas Oswell called The Unabomber and the Zodiac. What really is the difference between your material and his material? And what Mark Hewitt said was that Doug Oswell was trying to just make lists and compiled the information talking about the similarities and differences among these two serial killers, much as this Amazon description has just said at the end, talking about how they are similar and how they are different. The exact line at the end of the description was, this book highlights the amazing similarities between Kaczynski and the Zodiac, the two most enigmatic and cerebral killers in U.S. history. Okay, but then... What Mark Hewitt said was that he went an an additional step further and accused Ted Kaczynski directly of being not only the human Bomber, but also the Zodiac Killer. And as I said, I look forward to reading Mark's other two books to um, evaluate his observations, if you will. And while I was messing around on Amazon.com, I saw that Douglas Oswell had also written the book A Fantasia for Two Lutes, and it definitely got my attention, and I would just like to read the description of that book for you as well. Plague has struck a little town, and seventeen are dead. Fifteen years go by. Aaron Westwood, Sexton of the Old Grace Church, is tormented by guilt, its origin unknown. A gentle man, he spends his time in mindless work, through which he seeks asylum for his thoughts. But Christmas Eve has come, and thought has driven him into black despair. Upon the brink of suicide, an apparition leads him to the church where Aaron meets the ghost of Margaret, a woman murdered fifteen years before, a victim of the plague. Her love for Aaron draws her back to earth. She wafts him to the other world, where visions of his past and Mm -hmm. proceed on a trip to hell. And confrontation with a stark reality. A Fantasia for Two Loots is a Christmas story in the classic mold with ghosts and visions and the promise of redemption for a life misled. Well, I definitely look forward to reading this book at some point in the future, although my reading list is getting rather big, as I said, between the books about making a murderer and the Zodiac Killer, not to mention just some novels that I'm trying to sneak in, but Yes, one more time, the Fantasia for two loots by Douglas Evander Oswell. You can get this one on Amazon.com. And I should also point out I've not had any interactions with Douglas Oswell. Um, I don't really know the guy, so I can't really weigh in on any, any of these personal disputes that they're talking about or somebody wanting to punch him in the face. But right now I would like to get to your shout-outs on BuyMeACoffee.com. The shout-out for this week goes to Floyd Black 53 who says... I look forward to Mondays only for B-B-O-R. Well, thank you so much, and um, I would like to read off some other comments that you guys have left, not from BuyMeACoffee.com, but just um, some other people who have said some things on a similar note. And I don't have this one in front of me, but I do appreciate the person who said, not only do we have Taco Tuesday, but we also have Zodiac Monday. Greatly appreciated to all of you. And I noticed that some of these comments came all at the same time, somewhere on the recent Zodiac Killer news report. And one is from Sobek Lord, who says, Thanks for always making the start of the week a little bit better. Cheers, Ned. And uh, much appreciated, Sobek Lord. And Albert Forrell writes, Always a good start of the week to listen to your soothing voice and tickle that part of the brain that wants to solve this case, referring, of course, to the Zodiac Killer mystery. Albert, as well, I thank you so much. But I will be very honest with you guys not everyone is a fan of what I have to say on this channel. I also wanted to give a little bit of counterbalance and read something from somebody named Call Me PJ, which was written out on the episode The Murder of James Allen. And this is an old uh, podcast recording that I did back in 2020, but this comment came in just recently, and it says, WTF, you and your voice is stupid. I, I-, I couldn't believe that. I was like, D- did, I- did I read that correctly? You and your voice is stupid. You sound racist as F. How did 3,268 peeps... Listen to you. Yeah, um, alright, well, um, okay there, call me PJ. Firstly, um, you and, you and your voice is stupid, I don't know why that, I, I find that more humorous than I should, but, um, yes, I was discussing the murder of James Allen from, when the episode back in 2020, and James Allen was a police officer who was murdered by Esteban Carpio, and as far as... Being racist? Esteban Carpio did indeed commit the murder, and not only that, he didn't even deny it. The defense was an insanity defense, saying that he was not guilty by mental disease or defect. And, um, as far as how did you get 3,268 peeps to listen to you, um, well, I don't know, dude. You were the one who was listening to my show. Why don't you tell me why you decided to listen in the first place? And yes, there are more than a thousand episodes of Black Box Online Radio, and this one is under the full title "Plastic Mask: The Murder of James Allen" re-upload. I also did an older Black Box recording on the murder of James Allen, and if you would like, you guys can go through all of the um, all of the older content and find anything that you are curious about. I even have people still leaving comments on the old episodes from 2017, the pure podcasts that are done where there's just a black box on the screen, I like to call them the old-fashioned black box recordings. But to all of those people out there who think that me and my voice is not stupid, there is something out there on Astro Psych 400 called the Podcast for Sleep. Some people were saying that they use this program, Black Box Online Radio, as a way to fall asleep at night, and I thought, why not create a Podcast that is specifically designed to help people fall asleep, and this comes out on the weekends. One more time, available on AstroSync 400, and the episodes are about 30 minutes long. But I use this one all the time. I mean, I'm a person who uses audio to fall asleep at night. I really started that back in 2018 when I just, I just always want to be listening to something when I fall asleep, and I kid thee not, either. Astro Psych or BBO War are the things that help me fall asleep just because so many other podcasts really overdo it with the music or the effects, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they don't, they're not making a podcast for sleep, but I thought on Astro Psych 400, I'll just do it in a very specific way that should allow people to fall asleep at night. And right now, I would like to give a shout out to Bruce, who uses the YouTube handle BH. Bruce has contributed a lot to the show, and he provided the source material for an episode that I did on Zodiac Mondays about seven or eight months ago that was called the Voice Print article, when he was sharing something from Argosy Magazine that was talking about, do they have the Zodiac Killer's voice recorded? And Argosy actually had numerous publications out about the Zodiac Killer, numerous issues of their magazine. And firstly, Bruce, I'm shared some old magazine covers with me. But this one is actually from 1971, and it was called Long Forgotten Clues May Trap the Zodiac Killer. Just before Christmas 1968, Northern California bloodthirsty Phantom, who calls himself Zodiac, launched a murder orgy. What the that still baffles the top manhunters of the world. Two years previously, he may have tipped his hand to his true identity. This is the current belief of criminological experts working in concert with Argosy's watchdog for justice on this fantastic case. Two new strange confession clues to the Zodiac case have only recently come to light. They were written, and authorities are convinced in the wake of the brutal 1966 murder of a co-ed in Riverside, California, long before the 1968-1970 to 1970 homicidal rampage that brought the Zodiac into the ghastly focus in the San Francisco area. Now, it says 1970, but none of those crimes were ever confirmed, much like how the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in 1966 was also not confirmed. The Southern California murder from which these long-forgotten clues have now spectacularly surfaced, was that of 18-year-old Sherry Jo Bates, a co-ed at Riverside. On October 30th, Miss Bates was en route home from a study session at the college library, and she was abducted from her intentionally disabled car, savagely beaten and and stabbed numerous times, and left for dead in a ditch near the campus. I don't believe Sherry Jo Bates was actually left in a ditch, I mean, everything else I've read says that she was found in an alleyway, but I digress from that. However, despite the savagery of her assault, she had not been sexually molested, a quirk of the Zodiac's later crimes. Now, I know that this um, article is trying to attract readers, right, it was written in the 1970s for a magazine, but... Would you really call that a quirk not molesting the victims? I mean, what they're trying to say is that the Zodiac did not sexually assault the victims. Well, I mean, would you really call that a quirk? I mean, I don't mean to be overly judgmental, though. Although the material that has been studied exhaustively and scientifically by some of the world's top criminal minds strongly believes that some of our readers may find it, still overlooked, and that there are hints to the Zodiac's identity, which lead, could lead the bloodhounds of justice back to a hot new trail. The male confession is now believed by police and scientific technicians to have been the very first boastful self-disclosure by the Zodiac, referring to the male confession after the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, which I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, that he senselessly slaughtered a young woman more than four years ago, Typed in capitals and unsigned, it was one of two mailed to a Riverside, California newspaper and a local police in the fall of 1966, not long after the brutally murdered body of Sherry Jo Bates was found. Bearing Riverside postmarks, each of the two was contained in a plain envelope, the address hand-printed with fiber-tipped pen similar to the kind later used by the Zodiac, in the wake of his vaunted claims to the Perpetration of 13 more equally unsolved murders near San Francisco starting in 1968. Well, I certainly don't believe the Zodiac Killer murdered 13 people, and yes, this article was getting very fluffy on the details, but, I mean, they want to uh, make a lot of noise and get people to buy publications back in the 1960s and 70s, so to speak. But it continues. More than a month after the two mysterious letters were received, another clue to the Bates murder came to light. It was in the form of a hand-printed poem, laboriously scrawled on the surface of a desk in the college library. It was discovered by a building custodian on the desk and frequently used. This so-called poem, a meaningless jumble of ten lines and crude free verse, has been printed with fiber-tipped pen. It was signed RH in lowercase letters without punctuation. A photograph of the weird message on the desktop taken shortly after its discovery accompanies the article, and, um, well, I'll share it with you guys. It has been examined by the technicians at the State Crime Laboratory in Sacramento who have determined that the handprinting is identical to that of the Zodiac as found at the scenes in the late 1960s murder spree. No connection between the still unsolved slaying of Miss Bates and the Northern California butcheries What a weird word to use. About which the weird hide-and-seek killer since has bragged, was established until recently. But new discoveries may provide vital clues to heating up the trail to the Phantom Zodiac. Ah, maybe the Red Phantom, Red with Rage. Handwriting on the Zodiac Confession envelopes of the 1966, as well as the phraseology of the bizarre statements, now have been linked to the Will-to-Wisp Zodiac. Here are some excerpts of the Riverside letters four years ago. And this is when it um, says, uh, she was young and beautiful, but now she is battered and dead, which I've already read off in the episode. Oh, I mean, to uh, say something praiseworthy about this article, if they want to talk about linguistic similarities, absolutely there are linguistic similarities which I've gone through, and I will give them credit for that. There, There are lots of reasons to think that the Zodiac Killer was a prolific serial killer who operated well before 1968. I'm just not convinced of it. And people really do have these very strong connected theories all about how their their suspect was beginning to commit crimes in 1962 and then went all the way up until 1970 and um, beginning with the murder of Ray Davis, culminating perhaps with the disappearance of Donna Lass or maybe even the Kathleen Johns attempted abduction off of um Highway Route 132 in California. So there are lots of... um possibility about how that could be true, I'm still not convinced. And it's going to take a lot more than just similar handwriting for me to give some type of label of endorsement on somebody's zodiac theory like that. But I really do appreciate Bruce sharing this with me. And uh, Bruce has also provided the substance material for a missing persons case involving his own father. He was the first person to ever uh, reveal that stuff um, with me or ask me to do an episode on his father's disappearance. His father's name is William Higgins, and there is an episode about him on this channel called The Disappearance of William Higgins, which I invite you to listen to. And uh, Bruce is also... um, really uh, done a lot of work in going through the older documents and um, things like the magazine articles, and you see all these covers here, back from the 1970s. And the real reason why I wanted to read that off was, I think it's always valuable to hear what on-the-ground coverage was like back in the 1970s. Like, that article was from 1971 in Argosy magazine. What were people actually saying about the Zodiac Killer back in those days? And to move on to the next segment, I would like to give a shout-out to Andrew WVA, who sent this into to the email address. Anybody can write the show at radio at com, And Andrew says that, hi Ned, recently I read an interesting article from 2006 regarding the Zodiac's motivation for sending in the Z13 cipher. Now I've talked a lot about the 408 cipher today, but the Zodiac Killer actually has four confirmed ciphers first is the 408, then there is the Z340, which was recently solved within the last two years. Maybe um, maybe it's been a little bit more than that now, I forget what year it is. But then there is also the Z13, which Andrew just mentioned. And the Z32, they get these names because of the number of symbols that they contain in them. The Z13 is also called the My Name Is cipher. So I read an interesting article from 2016 regarding the Zodiac's motivation for sending the Z13 cipher. Author Michael Cole of the Zodiac Revisited Trilogy points out that Zodiac's cipher came exactly six months after a challenge that was issued by Professor D.C.B. Marsh in San Francisco. He he published this in the San Francisco Examiner on October 22nd of 1969. Professor Marsh, president of the American Cryptogram Association, challenged Zodiac to reveal his name in a cipher. The proposed E13 solution featuring Richard Gajkowski's age, and date of birth has already been featured on your podcast. I think Richard Guykowski was very comfortable with numbers. He had an interest in astrology and was an economics major in college, so if Gaikowski were the zodiac, it's logical to assume that he responded to Dr. Marsh's challenge with his date of birth instead of a name. It is an interesting thing to note. However, that Zodiac also seems to have included this information in the 4- 340 cipher. If you look in the center of the cipher, you can see DOBCNCF. It is also visible in the vicinity of DOBCN and CF also translates to 31436, of course. The 340 cipher came not long after Dr. Marsh's challenge, and Zodiac researcher Richard Grinnell has recently asked if the 340 also contained a response to Dr. Marsh. If you believe Gikowski is the Zodiac, then he actually did respond twice to Dr. Marsh's challenge, albeit with the Z13, more prominently featured Richard's age and date of birth. Several months ago, I also pointed out how you can find the number 33 Richard's age, September 1969, on Brian Hartnell's car door, when the Zodiac wrote September 27th, 1969, 630. So there appears to be some precedence for this sort of thing. Best regards and thanks for all the great podcasts, Andrew. And to provide a little bit of context, the Zodiac killer committed the Lake Berryessa stabbing on September 27th of 1969, and after stabbing Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard, the Zodiac walked back to Brian Hartnell's Carmen Kia, and he wrote a message on the car door. He drew the Zodiac symbol. He wrote the word Vallejo. He wrote out the dates of Zodiac activity, such as 7469. But when he wrote the date of the late Berryessa stabbing, he wrote set twenty-seven sixty-nine. He did not write it out as the numerical version. He wrote S-E-P-T, referring to September, and I've been guessing until the end of time, why on earth would somebody do that? Why on earth would somebody deviate from that particular pattern? Like, why would they go about it in that exact way? And the only thing that I can think of is that, I don't know, but a lot of people have provided ideas, and Andrew has said very clearly here, that he is um, of the belief that that was Richard Gajkowski's age. If you add up the digits in that line, that reveals 33, and Geike would have been 33 at the time, partnered with um, the solution that you've been seeing on the screen about the Z13 cipher, which shows how the um, you more or less have to put the single digits on one line and the double digits on the other line, and you can also total up um, the year in which Geike was born, and then you'll gets the information about his date of birth. So that if that is indeed how somebody like Gajkowski planned the Z-13 cipher, it's very intricate, and it's definitely very impressive. But, of course, this is an unsolved case, and those solutions are possibilities. But I do greatly appreciate Andrew, WVA, for sharing that with me. And he says, for a bit of backstory on the date of birth, 340 discovery... It was actually given to the credit of researcher Eddie Barr. She noticed it a year ago, and prior to me, referring to Andrew WVA, but I added the date of birth to his find. Z-Searcher Sean Z is the one who came up with the Z-13 solution. My only contribution was to suggest to look for the number 36. Well, Andrew, um, I do appreciate everything that you have shared with this show all the same final thing for the Zodiacular News Report is, I would like to read something that was sent to me by a different Andrew, Andrew Gray, and also giving credit to Richard Grinnell. It talks about an old newspaper clipping, talking about the Blue Rock Springs shooting on July 4th of 1969, which saw the death of Darlene Farron and the murder of Mike Mageau. Now, as far as the time, earlier in the episode, Ray Grant stated that the shooting most likely occurred right after midnight. It's really hard to say... In some of the estimations I've done on this channel, I've thought that perhaps the most exact time would have been 11.55 p.m. on July 4th of 1969, or 12.01 or 11.51. It's going to be somewhere in that very, very small 10-minute window, which is um, really quite saddening, because Officer Richard Hoffman should have been in Blue Rock Springs Park 10 minutes before the shooting doing a patrol, but... um, Andrew uh, Gray shared an article with me about Mike Mageau recalling the events after the shooting. And there's a highlighted piece of text here that says, Mageau described how he half-leaped and was half-knocked onto the back floor of the car. His legs were thrashed out, partly from the shock of the wounds and partly from his efforts to evade and the slugs on his uh, other limbs. When the killer stopped firing after the first fusillade, Majot partly boosted himself up on the rear seat. He started firing again. Majot said that he lashed out with his legs again, and the Zodiac talked about this very clearly, saying that the boy was shot in the knee. But there is a um, newspaper article from the beginning that is giving some more details that talks about how Mike Mageau was sitting in the passenger seat of the Blue Rock Springs car. The Darlene Fern would have been in the driver's seat, and what may have saved Mike Mageau's life is that he was leaping into the back seat, and he was definitely shot multiple times, not only in the knee, but also in the jaw, and I believe the bullet even went through his tongue. It sounds horribly painful. Serial killers are terrible people, deranged individuals. And I do talk about this a lot on the channel, and all of the observations about criminal behavior and psychology. And that one person who said that I sounded racist as F for doing it. Well, people do commit crimes. And sometimes people don't want to admit that. Sometimes people want to project a particular belief system onto the situation. But that is not an inappropriate not an appropriate thing to do. It is inappropriate just to say you can't talk about certain cases because, well, you're a racist. I mean, like, I, I really have no idea what he was referring to in terms of being racist for discussing the murder of James Allen, and um, I don't think I said a single racist thing in that episode. Instead, it's just um, involving a perpetrator who was of a different race, but these are real stories, and these happened, and that perpetrator didn't even deny that he did it. He com more or less admitted it, he was just trying to get off on an insanity defense. And if you'd like to go through some of the episodes here on Black Box Online Radio, I invite you to do so. And on Astro Psych 400, I'll also talk a lot more about, not exactly psychology, I mean, part of it's in the name Astro Psych 400, right? But just how people are thinking, but not from a professional standpoint, from just my own observations on life, because there's a the scientific world, there are the social sciences, but sometimes there are just comments that we make about life, observations about existence, and I will definitely keep on sharing all of those with you here on Black Box Online Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this episode here. Anybody can... Write the show at blackboxonlineradiodaywell.com, just as Andrew did. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. And there is always blackboxnid88 on Instagram. And I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.